Our scripture readings this morning in the Old Testament first are Psalm 23, and then we'll read Matthew chapter 11. But Psalm 23, David writes here, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, it reads as such. Matthew says, Now it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding His twelve disciples, that He departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling their companions and saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. 
And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Ascends the reading of the Word of God. Will you once again pray with me? Father, as we come to your Word, we indeed come to you, and I ask for your grace, Lord, that the words spoken this morning truly would be from you. And indeed, grace is needed. And I ask, Lord, that the ability to receive would be granted to all here. Indeed, that you would allow all of us to have ears to hear. We count on you for this, in your spirit, and his work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, brothers and sisters, Matthew 11 is our text, um, most specifically talking about John the Baptist and, and uh, him being in prison. And, and what the Lord says in Matthew 11, uh, chapter 12, will be a great focal point of, of our sermon this morning. And also at the end of the chapter, where Jesus gives that very well-known invitation when he invites those who are before him to come to himself to receive rest, to take upon his yoke. So the, the title of the sermon is Violence Without and Peace Within. And we will see, I hope, God willing, uh, that these two things, most assuredly, very often, are both for the believer at all times. The believer living for their Savior. So, Matthew chapter 11. I did read the whole chapter for context's sake. However, we won't go through the whole chapter verse by verse for time's sake. But to to set the scene to... To allow us to know what's going on here fully, I'm going to take a quick second and review. It'll be more than a second. Hopefully it'll be quick. Review where we are uh, in chapter 10 prior to this. Because the, the main focus of our text this morning, if your Bibles are open to Matthew chapter 
11 and verse 12, Jesus says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. So there are a few ways that that verse in particular has been interpreted, and and perhaps both in principle can be applied to our lives correctly. But I think contextually, um, the reason we're going back to chapter 10 is because I'd like us to see what I believe the Lord actually meant. So this can happen many times in Scripture, can it not? We can, we can read something and extract the truth from it, but you know, even though as true as that is, it might not actually be what was intended to be communicated. Right? Or taking something out of context is how we refer to such things. So, let's review 10 real quick. I'm not going to have you turn a lot. Um, and if you have time later... If you have time, read Matthew chapter 10 and all of 11 together to get the flow and allow the Lord to speak to you here. So we see in 11.1, it says when it now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples. Well, there is like the summary of chapter 10, right? So commanding his 12 disciples. So chapter 10, verses 5 through 10, Jesus tells them. His disciples, after he chooses the twelve and names them, tells them where to go. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's verse 6. He tells his twelve what to say. Say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 7. He tells them what to do. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. That's verse 8. And in what manner they're to do that? He says, do it freely. Freely. You have received, so freely give. And then he promises provision in saying a worker is worthy of his food in verse 10. So this is the beginning of his instruction to his 12 before he sends them out. By themselves, by the way, which is a good note to remember. So you're going to the lost sheep of Israel. You're preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You're given power to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, and don't bring anything extra with you because you'll be provided for. Your work will bring your provision. Then verses 11 through 15, Jesus gives detailed instruction on how to respond to being accepted and how to respond to being rejected. Because as they go, they will be both accepted when they enter a house that is worthy or accepts them. They're to leave their peace upon that house. When they are rejected, they're to leave the house and even the town and wipe the dust off their feet, which I believe symbolizes for them, and we need this symbolism sometimes in our lives, from God, the permission to move on. I don't want you carrying anything from that rejection with you because you have somewhere else to go now. Don't even bring the dust on your feet to what you need to focus on right now. All right? So, peace given to a worthy house and to an unworthy house or a town. Well, even in this passage in verse 11 through 15, eventual severe judgment and worse than Sodom and Gomorrah, Jesus says. Chapter 10, verses 16 through 25 Jesus gives warnings of some of the sure rejection definitely leading to persecution. Okay? So, this is what you're going to go. 
12 disciples that I've chosen, this is what you're going to say, what you're going to do. These are the practicalities of it. Some are going to reject. Some are going to accept you. In that rejection, Jesus says, it's inevitable that there will be persecution. Inevitable. You'll be arrested. You'll be dragged before courts. This is where Jesus says, don't worry what you will say. You'll be given what to say in that hour by the Holy Spirit. But so much so much so will the persecution be that he tells them that they will have to flee. They will have to flee. Isn't that interesting? He says, to sum it up, I believe this is a good summary. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Right? I mean, if, picture yourselves playing as children. Who wants to play sheep and wolves? <laughs> right? <laughs> That's not a game. Maybe it will be now. <laughs> I mean, really, <laughs> considering... Considering the natural bent of a sheep and a wolf, especially in the same vicinity, who's going to say, I'll be a sheep, <laughs> unless they, you know, enjoy being torn apart? So that's Jesus sending out his disciples. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, and he tells them to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. This is all very important as we build up to our. Our text, our focal text this morning. In verse 26 to 33, we're told not to fear man. Not to fear man, because the Father will protect you. Keep proclaiming the gospel. Keep acknowledging Jesus before men. Don't fear man. Fear God. Don't fear the one who can destroy your body. Fear the one who can destroy body and soul in hell. Jesus says, now we're wrapping up chapter 10 and verses 34 to 36. Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And then he goes on to explain that he came to bring a sword even in the home. Even in those relationships on earth that are the closest to us. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword even in those circumstances. And then in verses 37 to 39, so if you already have your Bibles open to Matthew 11, just look back a little bit to Matthew 10, and let's read verses 37 to 39. We see Jesus here saying and telling the expectation of devotion to himself. Jesus says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Very important detail in there that we must, in this instruction, we must lose our life for his sake. A certain state of being and understanding, a certain state of circumstances, and even of our own choosing and doing, that we would lose our life and be in self-denial and so forth really means nothing unless you're doing it for Jesus' sake. That's important. And if we deny certain things and reject certain things and relationships and material things and opportunities, if we do these things because we want to be those who 
deny ourselves, but it's not for Jesus' sake, then what good does it do? It does none, right? We must love Him more than all, more than everything. And we also must remember that we're not expected to sacrifice because that's a very um, uh, sacrifice-full expectation, isn't it, that Jesus gives us? We're not expected to sacrifice in any manner that Jesus Himself didn't give, uh, give us an example first, except His was far greater than anything He ever asks of us. And He enables us to obey Him and please Him fully with nothing in and of ourselves. So, well, let's remind ourselves of this very picture. Philippians chapter 2. Can we turn there, please? Philippians chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 5. This is what I mean when I speak of Jesus requiring sacrifice of His disciples, but Him showing us how. So Philippians 2.5, Paul says here, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so when we see Jesus tell his disciples that he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me, we see that all who take up their cross in, in the, this, the decision to follow Jesus do so because, well, God Himself has made us worthy to follow Him in that call. So let this mind be in you. His sacrifice was immeasurably greater remember, than what He asks of us. And He completely enables us to live and to sacrifice as He commands. Then we wrap up chapter 10 in the Gospel of Matthew, verses 40 to 42, where Jesus says, if you go, He's wrapping up everything here, everything He's told His twelve, if you go and if you speak, if you work, and if you live in obedience to Jesus, then whoever receives you receives Jesus himself. That's what he's saying. So we see here this idea of being an accurate representative of Christ, right? Of being an ambassador for Christ. So it's not necessary for Jesus himself to go. That's a good thing, right? Because we know that we can go and be effective for Him. As effective as He wants us to be. He never says, I guess I'll send Him. Or, I guess she can go. Or, I guess LOPC is the only one there. No, not at all. Because it's all of Himself. His strength, His power, His grace. It's all by 
His Spirit, we are to be ambassadors. We are to be those who go to specific places and say specific things and do specific things and expect acceptance and rejection, even in our own home. Expect persecution. We are to be those who live like that. Expect God to provide in the midst of what He sends us out to do. For a worker is worthy of his food. All this for our Savior. All this while we don't love anybody more than Him. Because He has loved us first. Where we lay down our lives for Him. Because He laid down His life for us first. You see, if we do all of these things, like Jesus told His twelve in Matthew chapter 10, then whoever receives us, it's as if they're receiving Christ Himself. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 to 21, I'm going to turn and read those verses from Paul. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. Paul says here, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then Paul says here, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So we are indeed ambassadors for Christ. Paul here in in 2 Corinthians most clearly tells us that we fit perfectly like a puzzle piece. We, us, the disciples of this day, specifically LOPC, we fit into Matthew chapter 10. That's Jesus talking to us. That's what Paul says here in in 2 Corinthians. And then if we go back to Philippians 2, after the passage of our our Lord's description of His humility, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, you know these verses well. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. I mean, Paul earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 said that the very love of Christ compels us, constrains us, pushes us on. If it weren't for the love of Christ inside of us, then we would not proclaim or live or do anything in His name. For it's His love that moves us, that pushes us. And then he says, again in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, you see. So yes, work out your own salvation. Live in obedience as Jesus called and all those things in Matthew 10. But God is working in you both to will and to do according to His own pleasure. As if God were pleading through you. As if Christ's love compelled you, you see. That's how it all connects. And then we get to chapter 11 in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. Verses 1 through 6, we see 
that Jesus departs from his disciples after instructing them to preach and teach, and he goes himself to teach in their cities. And after this is when we have John the Baptist. He hears of Christ's work. He's in prison, and he sends two of his disciples to Jesus with a very specific question. The inquiry is this. Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? They ask. So Jesus' disciples are out. He's gone to preach. John the Baptist is in prison, and for months now at this point, he sends two of his disciples to go to Jesus because he hears of everything that's going on, but he's not a part of it anymore. Remember, he had a, a robust ministry, a very fruitful ministry, John the Baptist did, being used by God as he was called to be used. And then it all stops. At least what he was experiencing stops, right? He's not being used in that manner anymore. I'm not saying the work of God stopped in John the Baptist, but that way did because now he's in prison. Now he's in a dungeon. Now he stood up to authority and he called evil, evil. The church told the government it was evil and now John the Baptist is in jail. And for months, it's like, come on, cuz. Right? They're cousins. He's been through so much. Mary and Elizabeth were very close. I mean, he even saw upon baptizing his cousin who he was like, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, permit it to be so now for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Upon Jesus coming out of the water, he saw to indicate and prove that this is the Messiah, the one that he had come to herald, the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Upon Jesus. He wasn't standing on the, the shore. He wasn't standing on the bank of the Jordan. Man, John the Baptist was there in the water with Jesus as the Spirit came down. He's probably standing right next to him. And now he's in jail saying, are you the one? Not only that, not only that, but the Father spoke. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Wow. Wow. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? So in verses 4 to 6, Jesus responds and he gives the message to the disciples of John to send back to John. Remember, he's in prison for months at this point because he obeyed God. And he was doubting if Jesus really was the Messiah, even though he's experienced so much pointing to the fact that, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. And what Jesus does is he sends back to John an answer that should have brought his mind back to the beginning of Isaiah chapter 61. Okay. So in our text this morning in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says in verse 4, Go and tell John the things you hear and see. And, and this is it. The blind see. Tell this to John. Tell him that the lame walk. Tell him that the lepers are cleansed. And tell him that the deaf hear. And tell him that the dead are raised up. 
and that the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then he ends it, ends his message with this. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Offense there means uh, stumbled. Blessed is the one who is not stumbled because of me. Because John was stumbling at Jesus. He had this certain idea of who the Messiah might be. If he didn't, then he wouldn't have sent to inquire if Jesus was the Messiah. Right? He wouldn't have questioned that. So John was indeed stumbling. Now, when John the Baptist, who I am sure was a man in his devotion to God, because this is how it goes for all of time. In devotion to God, you have to be one who is familiar with the word of God. I can't believe that John the Baptist didn't know as much as he possibly could of God's very word. And he was familiar with it. And you know that Jesus knew that. They weren't strangers. They didn't just meet at the Jordan River one day when Jesus came to get baptized by John. They were close. Their mothers were close. So when Jesus told him this in particular, I'm sure John, in prison, thought of Isaiah. He thought of Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. And I'd like us to turn and to read that, please. To set our eyes on what the prophet said. Prophesying of the Lord. Isaiah 61.1 Now this is also what Jesus reads after he is tempted in the wilderness by Satan. This is in uh, the beginnings of the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus goes to Nazareth and on the Sabbath day he goes to the synagogue and he's given Isaiah. He's given the scroll of Isaiah and he stands up and he reads this. This is this scripture. And then he says that this is fulfilled now to them. So this is Isaiah 61.1. The prophet says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now because of Luke in particular, and Jesus standing up in the synagogue on that day, and because of what Jesus sends back to John as word for his heart in prison, we know that this is the Lord speaking as Isaiah is prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Okay, see, that's where the connection would be drawn. Now, pay attention to what the Lord does to John the Baptist in particular. It's amazing. Okay. The Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Man, he sends that to John in prison. And John never gets out. He's beheaded. He's beheaded. Right? But I'm sure with the working of the Spirit and the Word of God accomplishing what God sends it forth to accomplish... John's heart was now free because that was the intention of the Lord. He didn't want John to wonder if Jesus was the Messiah. He wanted him to know, yes, I am the Messiah and this is what I do. This is what I do. You're chained 
and you're shackled, you're hurting, and you're pained, that might not change. But your chains will be gone. You'll be set free. As we sang, there will be no prison in the heart of John the Baptist. As knowing his Messiah, the truth will set him free. And this is what every Christian needs to realize as we live, that there will be violence without and at the same time, peace within. Specifically with John the Baptist, he's in prison and yet Jesus says, I've come to open the doors of prison. And yet John stayed in prison physically. He was to be freed in prison, but not like perhaps he was thinking before. And then remember, Jesus says, don't stumble at this. John, don't stumble at the ways of God. When our expectations don't align with with God's plan, what needs to change? Our expectations. Not God's plan. Right? When God and His sovereignty, when God and His wisdom had John the Baptist to be thrown in jail for obeying and for standing up for what is right, then John thought, well, it's okay because Jesus is here. I'm sure He'll break me out. I mean, he's obviously got power over the physical. Yeah, okay, so his disciples come back to him and (laughs) they're reading the list. Yeah, okay, the blind can see. Okay, good, yeah. Yeah, the lame can walk. Okay, yeah. Well, the dead are raised. Okay, wow, I'm sure, you know, this prison door isn't nothing for him if he's bringing the dead back to life. And the gospel is preached to the poor. That's Isaiah 61. That's when... Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would come and open the doors of the prison. And that's the message that our Lord has for everyone. Although you might be in prison, you can still be as free as ever. Don't stumble at violence. Don't say, well, this isn't what I expected. This isn't what I thought or hoped or or this isn't what I came to when I calculated. This isn't the answer. Don't stumble as if it were not God's plan. Because even in the midst of that, God's plan is for you to be free. Continuing in chapter 11, verses 7 through 15, we see that After John's disciples leave Jesus, then Jesus turns and he addresses the multitude concerning John the Baptist, which is very interesting, isn't it? Because he says some things about John that if you were John, you really would have hoped that your two disciples brought this message back. Like, among all those born of women, (laughs) there has not been one greater than John. No, that's for the crowds. That's not for John the Baptist. What John the Baptist needed to hear from his Savior was that he is the Messiah and that John will be free. His chains wouldn't be broken, but those inside would be. That's what John the Baptist needed. And that's good. And that's okay. So he asks them about John in verse 9 and he 
He tells them that indeed they did go out to see a prophet. Jesus confirms and he validates this himself in verse 10 in Matthew 11. Turn back there if you're not there already. In Matthew 11, verse 10, Jesus confirms this. And he says, For this is he, speaking of John the Baptist, of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. What Malachi prophesied of, that's the guy in prison. And this is what I think of him. He is the one who was to come before me and to preach and to say, prepare the way of the Lord. Right? Verse 11. In Matthew chapter um, 11, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So, all believers, indeed, can expect perfect salvation. But thinking of this, what Jesus just said, if John is not to stumble, then we, being greater than John, are indeed too expected not to stumble, right? At our situations, at our prisons, whatever they might be. Whenever we have anything physical binding us, Think of this aspect of our relationship with the Lord. We don't have to send people to talk to Jesus. If only I was Jesus' cousin, right? If only our moms were like this. Man. No, John was in jail, physically bound. He had to send two of his disciples to find Jesus and take message back to himself from the Lord. That's not the case with us. We know from... This is a, a well-treasured uh, passage to the, from the letter to the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 to 16. If you, guys would, if you guys would turn there, please. This is our great... Um, allowance from God. By His grace, we can see in verse 14 that... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession because we see him. Verse 15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And this is what I would say to us when we find ourselves in a John the Baptist situation. I'm bringing it back to Isaiah 61.1 for the hearts of the saints today. When the author to the Hebrews says, let us come boldly to the throne, unlike having to physically send two people to find Jesus, that's a huge blessing that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help and find in a time of need. Like John was in need. He was in prison and doubting. I can easily put what the prophet said in Isaiah 61 
as a messianic prophecy of the work and the mission, the ministry of Jesus, I can put that into Hebrews 4.16. That we might obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. That we might have our broken hearts healed. Isaiah 61, in time of need. That in our state of poverty, whatever that might be, we might have good tidings preached to us. That in whatever our captivity is, in Hebrews 4.16, we might have liberty proclaimed to us. And indeed, the opening of prison doors to those who are bound. That is the help, the mercy and the grace that we find in times of need. Now, it is true, indeed, that when we seek the Lord, when we go to before the throne of grace and we seek Him regarding whatever need we have, um, He answers it differently and in um, different manners on every occasion. For sometimes, indeed, He will bust down the prison doors, won't He? But all the time, He will do so in our hearts. That's, that's a sure thing. Now, verse 12 in Matthew chapter 11, ever since John came on the scene, heralding the coming king, there has been violent opposition to the kingdom. Jesus says here, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violence take it by force. So I was reading some commentaries and I was looking at the um, at the Greek in, in my concordance, 4 verse 12 in particular. And some people would say, well, this is talking about the need for those who would enter into the kingdom to do so at any, at any cost, even violently. Like, have that, like, here I come, right? And, I mean, this is what some well-known and trusted commentators were saying. And, like, eh. and then others were, were saying... Um, what I believe Jesus is saying in the context here, that ever since John came about, man, there's been a war. There's been a conflict. It is light has come into this world and the darkness has rejected him. And because Jesus is hated, so are those who are his. And ever since John, the kingdom experiences violence. The violent will take it by force. Or so they hope. And so they intend. But they will never succeed. I think you can see this in Genesis chapter 3, right? When, when the Lord uh, speaks and He says that although... Now here's the, the taking the kingdom by force. Although um, the, the heel of our Savior uh, will be bruised... Man, that's not going to do anything because his head is going to be crushed. Right? So, it's, there is violent opposition. And we see this all throughout. We see this with John the Baptist himself. From his imprisonment to his beheading. And yet Jesus, although the violence without, we see that there is peace within. Because he says, I am the Messiah. And I will give you liberty, freedom, and I will not let you remain bound and captive, although you might stay in prison. We see this with the twelve. We just read in Matthew chapter 10 how they were going to go out in the name of Jesus and they were going to be 
well, forcefully pulled away from their mission by government authorities, put on trial, questioned that their own households were going to hate them, that they were going to be persecuted. But guess what? A disciple is not above his master, Jesus says to them. So we see the violence there. We see it with Jesus himself. And we know that he eventually, eventually will go on to experience such violence toward himself. But even in just the next chapter, in chapter 12, verses, or verse 14, it says the Pharisees went out and plotted against Jesus how they might destroy him. How they might destroy him. We see it with Paul. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter um, chapter 11 and 12. I'm going to turn there. Second Corinthians 11 and 12, uh, verses 23 through 25 of chapter 11, say this of Paul. Um, he says, I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And a night and a day I've been in the deep. Now, Perhaps those are um, physical manifestations of the violence of our unseen enemy Satan, the shipwreck and, and the being lost at sea and so forth. But these other things are very from one man's hand to another, although we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, right? But Paul's being beaten, he's being flogged, he's being stoned, he's being left for dead. Paul is experiencing Violence. And then in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, we see that after Paul is given a thorn, he is given grace and he is given strength. In verse 9, the Lord says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, not just those things in and of themselves, but for Christ's sake. And then Paul says this, First or Second Corinthians twelve, ten. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, when you are in prison, John the Baptist, then you will be set free. Jesus's message from Isaiah sixty one. When Paul is beat, when he is stoned, when he is persecuted, when he is going through trouble and trial. Then he is strong, so much to the point of his fellowship with Christ in such circumstances that he takes pleasure in those because he knows he would find Christ in that manner nowhere else. So may God grant to us as well, Isaiah 61, as he did to John, as he did to Paul. 
We see this in the early church. The same idea, this violence. We see in Hebrews chapter 10, mm-hmm. verses 32 to 39. The author says here, Recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for, your help, for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul." So, brothers and sisters, I'd like us to know what is guaranteed and what is not so known. If your goods are plundered for the sake of God, because you would dare stand up and support those who have been thrown in prison for the gospel's sake, if the government literally comes to your house and takes your stuff, and don't you dare stand up to them and protest, because what do you think they're going to do? If you do all of this for Christ's sake, you know what's promised? Not the return of your stuff. Okay, maybe... Maybe here in America we could go through the court system and such, and such processes would come forth that you'd get your things back. I don't know. That doesn't happen around the world. But you know what is promised for sure? What is for us? We are those who believe to the saving of our soul. Not our goods. Not our lives. Not the breaking of chains. Not the rod is coming at you and as soon as your assailant gets close, I can't go any further. No, the rod is still going to come, but your soul is saved. You see all those things Paul went through? He was whipped how many times? And when they, when they went to whip him, it's not as though God said, and all of a sudden the end of the whip was just a bunch of, bunch of feathers or something. No, Paul experienced that pain fully over and over. And I can't imagine, I, actually, I cannot imagine being stoned. But it has happened for the sake of Christ and, and horrible physical things happen to our brothers and sisters around the world even today. Even today. So we see this through the church, through the ages, even up till today, as we, even as Paul, will suffer if we are God's. And here's the question. How true does this ring for me? And how true does this ring for you? Second Timothy chapter three, verses ten through twelve. Paul says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, or persecutions I endured, 
And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So not only was it for John the Baptist and the Twelve and Jesus and Paul and the early church like to written to the Hebrews, but to us, all those who desire to live godly for Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus will suffer, suffer persecution. Now, as we see this violence for the church, we always see salvation. We must learn from John in prison that we're not to be offended at Jesus. We must not stumble. We must know that the just live by faith and we too can hear the word of the Lord by faith that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, like Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Now there's one more reason for Matthew 11 not to stumble, and that's what our Lord says at the end of this chapter. So if you could turn back to the end of chapter 11 in Matthew, verses 28 through 30. This is what our Lord says. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he is 100% speaking spiritually here. Although there may be physical freedoms that come with it. But there may not be. Jesus doesn't say, you will find rest for your wrists as they've been shackled. He says, you will find rest for your souls. The kingdom suffers violence, but even so, Jesus offers peace and rest. And we must know that this invitation that Jesus gives to the crowds gives us the foundation for our relationship with Him. That you are right with God during trouble, during trials of all kinds, it is well with your soul. The pain of this life of all sorts is inevitable, but it is not lasting. It's not lasting. This yoke This rest, this freedom from burden, heavy burdens that's given by Christ, that is eternal. That is eternal. So let's turn back to Psalm 23 and we're going to end with this. Considering Matthew 10 and 11, considering our texts that the kingdom of heaven suffers violent and the violence and the violent take it by force. Considering those things that Jesus offers invitation to come to him because he will give rest for our souls. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's a state of mind. That's a state of faith. John the Baptist wanted to get out of prison. But he can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In the midst of the physical, this is what we have for sure. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside the still waters. Don't be stumbled. Don't be offended when your definition of green pastures and still waters doesn't match with what God gives you. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Not the paths that are free from turmoil. Yea, and though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod, it protects me. Your staff, it guides me. I find comfort in these things. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And my head you anoint with oil. And my cup runs over. And then here is this hope forever that David has and we share and it says surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever so be free what are your physical circumstances come to Jesus and he will break those bonds let's pray